0: Hey, welcome to New Life. Hey, my name is Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here. So glad that you're here for the very uh, first Sunday of our new teaching series called One Plus One Equals One. I want to welcome everybody who is a part of New Life at our North Platte campus, as well as those who are worshiping God right here in the East Venue. We love you guys, and are so glad that you came to church on this holiday weekend, uh, this day, to to worship the Lord. And so we're starting a new teaching series, and and over this teaching series, you're going to get to hear from all four of our uh, pastors that are on our teaching team. So you have Pastor Dave and Pastor Nate, Pastor Jeff, will be uh, at the final week. And so today, uh, 1 plus 1 equals 1. What is this all about? Well, we're going to be talking about relationships, a lot about relationships, and specifically about the marriage relationship, because we believe that God loves marriage. In fact, say that with me. God loves marriage. God loves marriage. He, he designed it. He created it. He defined it for us. And God is ready and willing to be intimately involved in every single marriage, if we would allow him in and invite him in to be a part of our marriage, he wants to, to be a part of that. So there you know, there are two ways you can view marriage. In fact, there's two ways you can view everything in life, right? There's uh, my way, and then there's God's way. There's man's way, and then there's God's way. When you think about marriage, there's, there's the man's way or the world's way, and then there's God's way, right? There's man's world and there's God's kingdom. So what you're going to hear, let me just set it up for you. What you're going to hear from the platform is God's way. What we believe God says about marriage because we believe God's way is the best way. In fact, it's the only way to honor God is to live out our lives and our marriage His way. And so we're going to be looking at marriage through the paradigm of scripture and and using this confusing math equation, one plus one equals one. How many know that one plus one really equals two? Right? Right? It's basic math. But 1 plus 1, when we're talking about God's equation for marriage, 1 plus 1 equals 1. So who on earth came up with this title? Well, God did. Here it is in Scripture, and this is the foundation for today. Mark 10, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. That's where we get the title for this teaching series. The two become one. Now the context of this, this is Jesus speaking, and he's being asked if divorce is okay. Is there any reason for divorce? And so Jesus goes back to the very beginning intention of marriage, that there should be no separation. When God brings the two, the two become one and let no one separate them. And, and so he's, Jesus is uh, quoting Genesis 1 when it talks about the creation of man and the creation of woman. And he, he talks about, uh, in Genesis 1, it talks about that they, actually he's just quoting directly from it, the two become one and what God has brought together, let no one separate. And so we see even in the original intention of marriage that two people become one and that they are one for life, that's God's plan for marriage. But there's other ways that we see uh, this whole idea that one plus one equals one. This uni- unity, this oneness in marriage. Just think about. And by the way, just as a a, a a warning, I guess, if if you didn't catch the announcement that we usually do here at all of our venues about the children's ministry. Uh, today's message will be slightly rated pg-13 perhaps and so if you have a child in the room you may not they may hear some things in the context of marriage we're going to talk about today that, that they're not ready to hear and so please get them plugged into the kids ministry if you are here at one of our venues all right but if you think about this there's the warning and now here's the content the way that God created one plus one to equal one in marriage is even seen in how God created sex. And God created sex in marriage that the two become one. But the oneness goes beyond just the physical and just beyond sexuality. That God created, the two would become one, uh, that there would be a unity, a oneness in emotion, a spiritual oneness, that there would be this relational unity that's unlike any other any other relationship you know there's this powerful parallel when we think about how God created us and we think about who God is and we then we try to look at marriage in light of that let me explain we teach this in uh, in our engage course and it's this whole idea that we understand God God revealed through scripture as one God revealed in three unique persons God the father God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. All one, not three gods, one God, and yet there's three unique persons of God. And then God says in Genesis 1, let us create man, let us, the three in one, let us create man in our image. How did God create us? Well, we study scripture and we just... No, uh, we, even, even in science and psychology, we can understand that there's this, the, well, they'll say at least two parts. The Bible says there's three parts of us. We have our body, our physical body, we get that. Then our soul, that's our mind, our will, and our emotions, there's that part of us. And then our spirit, that part that connects with God that lives forever. The three unique and very definable parts of us, but one, I'm one person, right? So God, the three-in-one, me, the three-in-one, and you, the three-in-one. And then God says, when the two two people are married, the two are no longer two, no longer individual, but they become one. And so, I just love that that picture and that parallel to who God is and how God created marriage to what He created marriage to look like. So, as we talk about marriage, I want to challenge you to draw parallels to other relationships because there's people in the room you might not be married. Maybe God's given you the grace to to stay single, or maybe you're a widow or a widower or maybe you've just yet to get married or for whatever you're maybe in a season where you're not married please don't check out because there's going to be some some great parallels as we look at some principles of how to have a great marriage and a great relationship that you can apply either to the future that, of of your marriage or just apply to your other relationships in your life and so i want you to engage and think about specifically About the relationships that are in the venue that you're sitting in. If you're a part of New Life Church, your church family, if this is your church home, I want you to draw the the parallels to other relationships, especially within the church, within your church family. And here is the foundation for that. Jesus was praying in John 17. He was praying for his 12 disciples, and then he begins to talk about us in his prayer. And it says this My prayer, and he's Jesus talking to the Father, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us, if you're a Christ follower, that all of them may be what? May be one. Father, just as you you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And so he's praying for unity. He was praying that they may be one. And in fact, the, the The realization of that is if they are one in the Father, in Christ, that we come together in the Lord, that's how we become one. And so with that understanding, draw the parallels not only to your marriage, but to the other relationships, especially in the church. So let's just we understand there's a uniqueness to the marriage relationship that's unlike any other marriage. Okay, so God's relational math is one plus one equals one. Well, in God's kingdom, in the family of God, there's this other crazy equation that one plus 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 equals one, right? That God wants us to be as a family in the kingdom of God to be to be one. So many of the principles that will help you to win in marriage have implications in other relationships, especially spiritual ones. And so right here at the beginning, I'm going to give you one of the big answers to marriage, one of the the big secrets to having a great marriage. And you might ask, well, what credentials do I have to give you this? I'm not really sure. Uh, I've I've been married for a little over 20 years, 21 years this year. And so, some of you have been married far longer, and I and I like to. And you have Christ-centered marriages, and, and I glean things from you. I think of uh, one of my friends that's sitting right right down in the middle, a couple uh, here in the West Venue, and I look to to you and their marriage. And so, we're going to look to God's word, is what we're going to look to, not just to my credentials. So, I'm going to give you one big secret. All right, one big secret. You might want to lead in and take notes. Alright, This is uh, this is really good. This is a, a leading indicator for having a, a Christ-centered marriage that's going to win. A leading indicator is saying if you get this, if you can keep this, then you're probably going to have a, ma- a marriage that wins. All right. And so that leading indicator to a, a Christ-centered successful marriage is, in one word, commitment. That's the big idea today. We're going to talk about commitment. And we're going to talk about God's how God defines commitment, right? Because if we're going to become one, and if we are under God, and if we are going to stay one, it's going to require an unshakable commitment to God and to my spouse. In other words, you must be committed to commitment, right? And see, the value of the biblical definition, I believe, of commitment has always been under attack. We look at what's going on in the American culture today, and... And we can see things. We can see things feeling like values, certain values are eroding. But let me just tell you, nothing has really changed since the very beginning. Commitment has always been under attack. And I know there's an ebb and flow of moral values of society at a whole. But the word, the biblical definition of commitment, has always been under attack from the very beginning. If you become unhappy, what do you do? You get mad. And you just leave because, after all, it's all about you. And that philosophy, especially in relationships and especially in marriage, is diabolically opposed to God's way for marriage and for relationships. One plus one equals one. And that says, I'm committed to you no matter what happens. That when I said for better or for worse, it was far more than just a ceremonial cliche. I'm committed to you no matter what, even when we disagree. And if you want to be smart, aleck about it, I'm committed to you even when you're wrong. Right? You could say that. But but I'm committed to you no matter what. Right? That's what one plus one really, or one plus one equals one really means. So, what are some of the relational landmines to this whole idea of commitment? Commitment is just the rock solid, I'm dedicated, I'm not going to leave. What are some of the landmines? Let's start with. I believe the most explosive of them all, and it's this, you can write this down, it's a me first mentality. A me first mentality will cause destruction in every single relationship. In fact, a me first mentality is the foundation for all fights in all conflict. Look what James, the half brother of Jesus, said in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. What causes, he's asking the question, what causes fights and quarrels? Don't they come from your what? your desires, and they battle within you. You want something, but you don't get it. Isn't that the, the core issue between nearly all conflict? Every single war can be traced back to. There's all kinds of political, there's all kinds of, you know, et cetera's to it. But can it be traced back to, there's these desires that battle within mankind, within you and me. And when I want something and I don't get it, guess what happens? There's a clash. There's conflict. You want something. I don't know about you, but oftentimes the things that I want are self-focused. They're me-focused. Me-center, a me-center mindset is at the center of all problems. And I say that because it's at the core of our nature that's sinful. It's, a, it's at the very core of our sinful nature. If we go all the way back to the very beginning when man lived in perfect harmony with God without the sinful nature. And when man fell. If you know the story, um, this will be, be very familiar to you. If you don't, Adam and Eve, very first man and woman, God created and he gave them a commandment not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the enemy, Satan, came and tempted them. And what happened, when they sinned, they disobeyed God, and sin entered the human race at that time. What happened was mankind was deceived by me first thinking. He, he and she were tempted by this me first thinking. And they believed the deception, they believed the lie that there were better, there were better benefits available to me-centered living. Instead of living God's way that there's something better out there if I would just do what I want to do. So we inherited from Uncle Adam and Aunt Eve this same sinful nature that's infatuated with temporary pleasure. That's the the draw, the bent, the sway of our sinful nature. And I say it's deceptive because it blinds us to the fallout of me first living. It blinds us so we we can't even think ahead to what's gonna happen living my way because the temporary pleasure of getting things my way seems so much better right than preferring someone above myself and so it blinds us and we miss out on the true benefits of God's way and so it is in our marriage so what is God's way if your marriage is is in trouble today because of me first then this scripture if you get it inside of you could save your marriage literally here's what Philippians 2 3 says Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Let nothing that you do be driven or motivated out of selfishness, an ambition of me first, or a vanity, a narcissism, a conceitedness. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. If you get that into your heart, it could save your marriage if it's in trouble. So here's the antidote to me first living. Write this down. This whole idea of being one, one takes humility. It takes humility. It takes a person that's willing to get low and to serve. And so if you're married today, would you just pause and think about what you have going on today? Just think, you already know what you're gonna, what you're gonna do today. What is one thing that you can do to consider your spouse what is one thing that you can do just write it down text yourself if you're like that's what I do oh, I don't want to forget something I text myself or set a reminder what is one thing that you can do to prefer your spouse guys I can only maybe I'm not going to give the ladies the suggestion I'm going to give the guys the suggestion right if you have plans to go out to eat after church today go where she wants to go all right? Go through the restaurant. What is something that you can do? Think of something. It could be simple. It could be big. But what's one thing that you can do? Write it down and do it. Do something to prefer. Take the place of humility in your relationship with your spouse. And the reason why this is so important to put this into practice, because many relationships are built on this conditional kind of love. It's, I'll love you if you love me. Right? Like, I'll meet your needs if you meet my needs, and preferably you go first, right? I mean, a lot of relationships are built on that type of love, but God's love is so different. God loved us first. God gave himself before the foundations of the world were ever, ever even made The plan was put in place that God would give his one and only son, Jesus, to die for us. God always gives first. And guess what? He wants to transfer his character and his ways and the fruit of God's spirit in us. He wants to do that in us so that we put others first. And so when we think about our spouse, how can we prefer her or him above ourselves? It happens when we take the low place. We humble ourselves, And we allow God's Holy Spirit, one of the persons of the Trinity, We allow the Holy Spirit to come and do his work in us, and as we humble ourselves, and as we connect with God, and as we learn who he is, he starts to develop outcomes and character traits in our lives. The Bible calls them fruit. It's a good good word. The Holy Spirit does his work in us, and something comes out, it's fruit. When we think about the fruits of the Spirit that are found um, in the Bible, Galatians, I believe. And the love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. Those are the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's not a matter of just, okay, I'm going to do these things to produce them. It's a good thing to do those things, put them into practice. But the best thing you can do is get close to Holy Spirit. Get close to God. Get close to Jesus. Get close to God's Word. Let the Holy Spirit do the work inside of you. Fruit comes from the inside out. Fruit comes from the seed that breaks through the ground and gives fruit. So let the Holy Spirit do the work and produce it naturally naturally rather than just um, being produced by your own efforts. So let God develop his fruit in you. The result in your marriage will be that your marriage will be, in essence, worship to the Lord. And And you will be a success in your relationship with your spouse. But you might say, whether you're a man or a woman, you might say, well, I wear the pants in the family. What does that even mean, right? Like, don't you both, don't you... But you know, you know what that cliche means in our culture. I wear the pants in the family. It's usually the men that say that. If you want to honor God, if you want to honor God, then He better wear the pants in your family. Can I just say that? He better be the one. Because if if, if God is wearing the pants, if He's the one in charge, if He is the one directing your marriage, then what will come out of your life? Yes, spiritual leadership, but spiritual leadership that looks like Philippians 2.3. Doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, I'm preferring you, my spouse. I'm preferring you over me. Now, let me just say, there's different roles. God, I believe God created uh, husband and wife, and there's different roles that God has for them to, to operate in and mutually glorifying to God. There's different elements of leadership roles that God designed in marriage. But let me just say this. Being a spiritual leader in your family and in your marriage is not forceful manipulation or intimidation. Really, that's meant to get your way. That's me first. One of the fruits of God's Spirit, the outcomes, the character traits of God's Holy Spirit in us, is this word meekness. And meekness is not wimpiness. Meekness is strength under submission. And in a spiritual sense, it's strength under submission to God and to his authority. So it's one thing to lead well with godly wisdom and confidence, but don't mask selfishness under the guise of spiritual leadership. Come together and serve the needs of your spouse. If you're a a husband, let me just say, God's called you to be a spiritual leader in your home, and he's called your wife to be a spiritual leader. And those roles are unique and different. I don't have the time to talk about a lot of that today, but you are not called to lord it over her, right? Serve. Your wife, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. So that's the, that's the tough talk a little bit for the guys especially because some of us guys, I don't know about you, but I need another man sometimes to just speak man to man to me. I have a lot of brothers. That do that in my life sometimes, and I have other men in my life, and we just need that. And that's So that's a little bit of the, the, the tough talk, but let me just temper that with this understanding that it's not just a matter of being guilted or shamed or intimidated even by a preacher into behaving differently. We need God to help us. We need a God to change us from the inside out. And I love the way Romans 8, 5 is paraphrased in the message, which, by the way, if you're listening to this sermon today, guess what? You're listening to a paraphrase of God's word. And so, uh, I just say that to to let you know that oftentimes we we most all the time we look at translations of scripture when we're building doctrine into our sermons. Um but the message is a paraphrase, it's not a translation. And and so I'm just giving that disclaimer. But I love the way that this paraphrase or this sermon of scripture talks about how uh when we try to live up to God's standard on our own, it's a failure. Look what it says. Those who think they can do it, do it as living up to God's standard, on their own, end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle. And so they get obsessed with, you know, looking great, looking right, but they never get around to exercising it in real life. So there's no real spiritual fruit that comes to happen. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them. Living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. In other words, if I'm obsessed with all the things that I try to do, it's a dead end. But if I recognize it's God who works in me and produces the fruit, that will bring the real life change and the real uh, fruit in my marriage. And so the first step to destroying... The landmine of me first mentality is humility. It's at the core of all the other issues. The next issue is a big one, a big one too. Uh, And so it doesn't sound so threatening at first, but let's talk about it. And it's this, you can write this down. And it's the landmine of misunderstandings, misunderstanding. So all the married people that are listening in North Platte, the East Venue, everybody participating right now. If you had a misunderstanding, raise your hand. A misunderstanding this morning on the way to church, raise your hand. All right, just caught you right there, right? Misunderstandings happen, don't they? And th- so think back to the very beginning of a marriage or dating relationship, and at first everything is going great. You're, you're holding hands, right? You're doing life together, and you're thinking, they love me. They like me, right? Everything is great. They know me. They value me. They're, they want exactly what I want, and you're walking down the road of life like that, and then all of a sudden, bam, right? It's a misunderstanding. A misunderstanding happens. Have you ever heard the phrase opposites attract and then opposites attack, right? That's that's what happens. And, And oftentimes misunderstandings are the culprit. So why do we have misunderstandings? You may want to lean in and write this one down as well. This is a radical truth because God created you different than your spouse right you are different than your spouse there's differences in general in the way in general that men and women process the world right for example I I've been married to Lynette for almost 21 years now and and you would think that I would learn this by now but I still have to I need to set myself a mental reminder when this comes up Because if she uh, wants to process an issue with me, there's a problem that's going on, and especially if it relates to, it's a relational issue. So something with the kids or family, something that she's trying to navigate, and she begins to share that with me. Guess what I do as a male? The default switch wants to. Fix it, right, fix it. All the ladies said, is fix it, right? And that's what I want to do. My li- my, most of my life is is a meeting fixing issues and helping people fix issues. And so in my relationship with my wife, sometimes when she's sharing that, I want to move to solve the problem. All right, what are we going to do about this and how am I going to, how am I going to solve her problem and be the man? You know what I mean? But what happens when I begin to move to solve is a misunderstanding and then there's conflict right because that's she, that's not what she needs for me to do immediately and so there's misunderstandings just because we're wired differently there's misunderstandings uh, that happen because we have different personality types you might be an extrovert she might be an introvert you want to talk all the time and she'll talk a, you know a lot and then you know she needs a break right there's differences in personality types There's differences in interests and backgrounds and the way I was raised and the way uh, my parents raised me. And then that affects how you're going to come together and raise children. There's all kinds of things, emotional health, mental health, that affect how we understand each other and the the landmines that misunderstanding can really uh, come into a marriage. And so when there's a misunderstanding, the default switch is me first. Why, don't they, why doesn't she just think like me and react like me? And then we move to judge their motives, right? When there's a misunderstanding, at least for me, that's really... <clears throat> let me just share and be transparent for a moment. I've shared in the past, if you've uh, heard me speak in the past, um, I've shared in the past about how God has helped me walk through... Um, Uh, you know, processing insecurity at times and just feeling, finding my confidence in the Lord, all right? And so I've I've wrestled with that from time to time in my life. And because of that, there's like this, this wire that that when there's a misunderstanding, I move to judge my wife's intentions. What is her motives? When she said this, did this, what was she really meaning? And that carries over into other relationships. It could be a look that somebody gives, uh, gives or and, and, and I'm not paranoid by the way but from time to time when the enemy comes in and tries to trip that trigger of insecurity if I'm not careful and not leaning into the Holy Spirit I want to judge someone's motives and that can be damaging to our relationships and so when misunderstandings happen here's, here's the antidote we need to get this in our heart write this down one means believing the best and can I just make an add on to that? Believing the best and forgiving quickly. Believe the best. By believing in the best, I avoid the black hole of judging their attentions and ultimately nurturing bitterness and a grudge. Here's what 1 Corinthians 4 says. Therefore, don't judge anything before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. That's, that's tough, isn't it? He will also bring to light what is hidden in the dark and reveal people's motives. Then each each person will receive praise from the Lord. We need to be careful and slow in our judgments of other people's intentions and their motives. If we are going to win, talking about marriage, if we are going to win at marriage and in our relationships, we need to stop being, first of all, so surprised when there's a misunderstanding. But when it happens, let's believe the best. And let's live out Ephesians 4.29 that says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Or if you're on social media, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your thumbs, right? But only what is helpful and beneficial. We are too quick, too often to jump to a conclusion, to make a judgment and put it out there. The most powerful solution, not only we want to be... We want to believe the best, but we want to be quick to forgive. Because let's face it, we can wound through misunderstandings and we can be wounded by them, but when they they happen, let's be quick to forgive and to release an offense, remembering that God forgave us. Colossians spells it out so great in chapter 3, verse 3. Get along with each other and forgive each other. If someone does wrong to you, forgive them. Forgive that person because the Lord forgave you. When, if I can just get a glimpse of the cross and what Jesus did to forgive me, and if I can, without condemnation, just roll, black, roll back my life and remember what he forgave me, then it enables me to better forgive someone else and to release, release forgiveness to them because the God forgave us. Grudges, poison, relationships forgiveness is that healing bomb. and so you have me first you have misunderstandings and then this third one's explosive as well and it's this misplaced affections misplaced affections this is the enemy's playground and he will leverage your me first temporary pleasure to let anything anything or anyone come in to capture the affection that should only be for your spouse You know, there are so many things. It's not just another person. It can be a hobby. It can be a work. It can be the status that you feel in your job. It could be friends, or it can be another person. It could be your children. The enemy will use anything to leverage me first, and how you feel, and what you want, to misplace your affections that God has uh, is designed that they be uh, on your spouse. And it's never innocent. You know, we think it starts innocently because we didn't sin right away. But it's never innocent. Realize there's a war. The enemy wants to destroy your marriage, right? It's not innocent. It's like saying the first torpedo at Pearl Harbor was innocent. It's not innocent. It's, it's a war. And so if we could recognize when these, these things come up and when things start to tempt us or allure us that this is not innocent and we fiercely defend, we fiercely protect our marriage that's what we need to do to guard misplacing our, our affections. John, James 1.14 says this. Temptation comes from our own desires. That's powerful. Which entice us and drag us away. And guess what? The enemy is the expert on knowing what entices us, what, what is going to tempt us. And so it comes from our own desires. The enemy comes in and he wants to, to set traps and lay temptation and allow that to happen. And sometimes he's not even involved right? I can sin enough without him tempting me. It's just in me to do that. And, and so it's these desires within me that, that can easily draw us away. It could be a thought. It could be a relationship right? It could be be just a gradual withdrawal and redrawing into yourself. It could be all kinds of things. And before long, the commitment you have vowed, you vowed to never break begins to shake. And when it's full blown, you'll find yourself in the war zone illustrated in James 1 15, the very next passage, these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death and all kinds of destruction follow when we don't realize that the thing that looks so innocent, let us down, will lead us down a path of complete destruction. It's a picture of what happens when we think about marriage. It's a picture of what happens when we misplace our affections. Men, women, God designed that your affections be for your spouse. And he put put things in place to to keep that affection. And and he put some commands in place and some structures in place to, to prevent affections going outside of that. And so there's the physical, there's the sexual affection. Here's what 1 Corinthians 7 says about keeping your affections for your spouse. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. Notice that the attitude in 1 Corinthians about sex and marriage is not me first. It's not me focused. It's not this consumer mentality of me first. In contrast to the way That sin perverts sex. It makes it me first. It's a consumer mindset. But if we would frame intimacy, sexual intimacy, God's way, it will guard us, 1 Corinthians 7 1 and 2 says, it will guard us from sexual immorality. And guess what sexual immorality is? It's sin, and sin leads to death. It will guard us. So God framed that affection that physical affection in marriage to be something that, that draws you together but protects you from things out that will draw you to sin. We also, it's, be, it's way beyond just the physical affection. We need to keep our emotion, our spiritual, our spiritual affection zeroed in our spouse. We need to bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6 says. Let's read it together. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. As we walk together in marriage, we're, we're meeting emotional needs. We're meeting the, the, the practical needs. In a spiritual sense, we're, we're praying together. We're meeting the spiritual needs of our spouse as we speak into their lives and as we allow God to use us to shape them spiritually. And so how do we keep a resolve of commitment and avoid misplaced affections? You can write this down. One means prioritizing intimacy. Prioritizing intimacy. Prioritizing intimacy. Prioritize your physical, emotional, spiritual intimacy with your spouse. Men, step up. Meet the emotional and relational needs of your wife. And it's spelled with four words. You want to write this down. Four words. Spend time with her. Spend quality time with her. That's not me first. You focused. Pray together. Let me tell you, one of the most attractive things is is when your spouse prays for you, right? One of the most intimate things is spiritually coming to God and pursuing God together. It, It creates intimacy, and I'm not just talking about sexual intimacy. It creates intimacy together when you do that, when you nurture and you prioritize the intimacy of emotions and spirit and physical. And then set up guardrails for your life. I believe guardrails are great. Job, from the book of Job, the man Job, he had a guardrail. He says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. I think that's a great, a great guardrail. Your eyes, keep your eyes and your thoughts only on your spouse. The, the deep soul type conversations that you have where you're, you're talking in depth about your hopes and dreams and even just your day and how that went. Those deep intimate conversations should not be with a person of, of the opposite sex, another man or woman or someone that you could be uh, potentially attract, attracted to or the enemy could lead you there. You might think, you, yeah, I'm never attracted to that person. But you just begin to have those conversations that really, they start to, to cross a line and they feel good because it meets a need. But guard yourself from those, those conversations. They are meant for your spouse. Guard your marriage with ferocity. Keep your affections for your spouse red hot. And my prayer today as we close... For all the marriages that are here, everybody who's listening, you're married, or you're going to be married, maybe you're engaged, is that you will trust God's relational math. You will commit to not one plus one equals two, but one plus one equals one under God's covenant. You will vow to pursue God together. And like, uh, like Pastor Bob used to, used to get out, and he would draw the pyramid. He would draw this pyramid, and he would say, the closer you get to God, the closer you get together. Pursue God together. Come together. Commit to being one. Commit to commitment. And so I'm going to pray for all the marriages in the house. And and in just a moment, as we respond to the Lord, there's going to be an opportunity for you to respond and pray and receive prayer. So let's stand. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you value marriage. You designed it. You love marriage. You want every marriage to win. I pray right now for marriages that might be in trouble and there's conflict maybe some are in dire need of just a miracle a great turnaround i just pray that you would intervene god i pray for those couples that that are going through a tough time that they would have godly people in their life with godly christ-centered marriages not perfect but christ-centered marriages that would come alongside them and love them and walk with them But most of all, we pray that you would intervene, that we would reframe, that we would reformat any type of view of marriage that's been polluted by the world or from our past experiences or just from sin, that we will see how you created marriage, that one plus one equals one. As we commit to you, there's a unity that cannot cannot easily be broken as we're committed to you. So I pray for every marriage that it be strong and lasting, enduring, that we would be committed to one another. And so tell the world that we are your disciples as we love one another. In Jesus' name, amen.